This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Welcome to the Dave Leary Show! Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by Freedom's Path Recovery Society in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Thank you for tuning in. Please remember that these are opinions that are shared are those of the individuals and not of any agency, organization, or other entity, unless otherwise specified. Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian, as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexual content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. Today's guest is a police officer in Canada, and she has graciously agreed to come on and talk about um, from her perspective, all that's happening in our in our world right now, um, with the with Black Lives Matter, with the one, I mean, with obviously there's police and there's people in the middle, and I think uh, I really appreciate you coming on today uh, to try to at least talk about this. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I think it's something that needs to be talked about, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think. At the end of the day, it's about taking sides. So I liked how you talked about all the people in the middle, because I think it can be problematic when we take sides, right? And mm-hmm. as a police officer too, I can't just take the side of police and say that police are always right because they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's issues within police agencies that need to be addressed, and I I think at this time, with everything that's going on in the world, it could be a good time to make some of those positive changes. But at the same time, everything that's going on has been super damaging for police officers as well. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that in the United States, police officers are dying as a result of things that are posting on, being posted on social media. And you know what, like other people are dying too. Black people are dying and that's a problem as well. Yeah. And this needs to get looked at and we need to come together and make a solution. And I don't know exactly what the solution is, but I can speak to my experience as a police officer Mm -hmm. so far. Mm -hmm. Um, And hopefully, yeah, hopefully you will. Cause I mean, that's, that's the, like the difference between having just two sides is we have to hear from people who aren't on, on, firmly on one side because we realize there's problems there mm-hmm. or firmly on another side because maybe we just can't connect to it for whatever reason right um but i, I think there's more than two sides is my point mm-hmm. and and so i appreciate uh, whatever you can share with us about it i guess maybe the first thing that should be talked about is the use of force mm-hmm. so good starting point yeah well it's kind of the it's elephant the in the room, right? Well, not even the <laughs> elephant in the room because it's being talked about. But now, it's the crux. But yeah. yeah. So, I don't think that citizens understand 
w how police are lawfully placed to use force mm -hmm. and what their training is to use force. Mm -hmm. And I can say that before I was a police officer, I didn't really understand either. Mm -hmm. And I would watch the videos online of police using force and I would say, yeah, that looked really bad. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are bad apples in police yep. agencies who do use too much force. Um, and there's not a good excuse for mm -hmm. some of those people. But I think what the public doesn't understand is a police officer's mindset mm -hmm. when they're going to a call and maybe their decision making mm -hmm. in why they choose to use force. Yeah. So that's important. I am guaranteeing that people don't know. No. <laughs> yeah. No, so they, they see the videos of police yeah. using force and, and they get outraged and I can sympathize with them because mm -hmm. I in the past was one of the people that saw the videos and got outraged. Mm -hmm. And now when I see the videos, I say, well, there's no context. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes it'll just be like a 10 second or 20 second snippet mm -hmm. of a cop coming in and delivering a bad knee strike or, yeah. you know, punching a guy and it looks like it's unwarranted. Mm -hmm. So, so just, just so everyone out there listening is aware, we're not talking specifically about what happened to George. No. Right? Because we weren't, we not only were we not there, but I can see by whatever, whatever they showed us is enough for me to say, okay, I don't even need to comment on that because yeah. that, that guy dug his own fucking hole. Yes. And that wasn't one of those 10 second snippet videos. Precisely. Right? So, so it's different. Yeah. And I'm glad yeah. that you brought that up. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure it's yeah. clear because that's not what we're talking about. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah. I've seen some Canadian videos and that, that's what I'm referring to mm -hmm. of police using force recently and or you know just videos that have been dug up from years ago that people are posting now saying mm. like look cops are bad or whatever yeah. they they did this so when i see these videos a it's because i've developed i think through going to university and stuff like my critical thinking i, I would hope so yeah <laughs> that was probably the biggest thing i got out of my university yeah. degree is how to critically think like mm -hmm. I don't really remember anything I learned specifically but um, you might be the first person to actually acknowledge that's what you learned <laughs> <laughs> everybody else has like the the, the, the things they learned about yeah. as opposed to the thing they needed to learn the most yeah <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. so anyway um, so I, I take a critical look at these videos mm -hmm. and then I think to myself and it, I mean the law enforcement perspective has help me see them differently too um but like i said earlier the, the public doesn't have that lens that yeah. i have right so i look at the videos and i think to myself okay what were, why were the police there in the first place mm -hmm. and then i think to myself because situations change too yeah. just because a police officer gets dispatched to a certain type of call doesn't mean that it's going to remain that way mm -hmm. uh policing's really dynamic yeah. you have to respond to the different stimuli mm -hmm. essentially so so is it important so that's a good point you made so to respond to the stimuli mm -hmm. now there's like because there's a difference right because if you go to a we'll just use a check on welfare call because yeah, that's, that's been example. in the news that's what right I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah so if you go to a check on welfare car call expecting trouble a person may respond to that with a different mindset mm -hmm. than if they simply go with that this is a check on welfare, no yep. matter who it is, no matter how many times we've checked on them, yep. right? Because that can be a problem too. Yep. Um, to keep that mindset in, in mind, right? Yep. When you're moving. Absolutely. On the other side of that too, mm -hmm. so check on welfare calls, uh, 
you don't, you just don't know what you're going to mm-hmm. get. So yeah, if, if you go into it thinking, um, this is going to be trouble, then you know, like that may unfold as a result of your unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. On the other side of it though, with check on welfare calls, if you let your guard down, yeah. sometimes the, these folks that need to be checked on, and I, I agree they need to be checked on, they're mm-hmm. experiencing often um, a mental health emergency. Sometimes they have weapons though, yep. and they're not in a good frame of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, like I went to a check on welfare call, and uh, so the lady's daughter was, con- was concerned that she was suicidal. Mm-hmm. So we went and she wasn't at her house and we were like, okay, well, maybe there's something to this. We mm-hmm. should just look around areas that she might go. Mm-hmm. As we were figuring out where we might want to go, uh, a skip the dishes d- driver flagged us down and said, there's a woman with two knives walking around the community, wow. like not far from here, like mm-hmm. a block from here. Uh, so, okay, we have to respond to that stimuli, right? Yeah. So we go and um, I was first on scene with my female partner and then our backup unit was two guys mm-hmm. and or two male police officers. And I bring that up because it was important to the call. Mm-hmm. So the female subject or the lady who we're checking their welfare on and it's yep. law enforcement terms, you know, call them a subject. So yeah. I'm in no way trying to dehumanize her by calling her that. It's just easier to... Mm-hmm tell the story that way the human that was struggling human that was struggling absolutely she (laughs) was having a bad day and i can totally sympathize with that Mm -hmm. right um it turned up to be like she was suicidal she was having suicide by cop um intentions Mm -hmm. she knew that if she and she we talked about this later so i'm not speculating Mm -hmm. um she knew that if she walked around the community with two knives, the police would get called and that, you know, mm-hmm. she may successfully end her life yeah. um, by means of another person, right? Yeah. So my partner and I were first on scene, which is important because this woman told me later that she has experienced lots of sexual abuse and sexual trauma. So she was guessing that the cops that came to the call would be males mm-hmm. and that she doesn't like men as a result of mm-hmm. what's happened to her and that it would be easier for her to charge a man with a knife than it would be to charge a female with a knife. Wow. Yeah. So I'm recognizing this right away mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, the male police officers have to back off. Mm-hmm. Um, they recognize it too. Yeah. So they let my female partner and I handle a call. So she the woman who was struggling said um, basically I'll let the women handcuff me and I will listen to the women but if any of the men come close to me like I'm going to attack them yeah so we're recognizing this we're hearing her we're saying Mm -hmm. okay um, absolutely the female police officers will handle this call yeah Um, so we go and we get her to put the knife down and to both of the knives down and to step away from the knives so we can um, handcuff her in a way that's not going to be uh, traumatic for her mm-hmm. and then w- we recognized that we needed to take her to the hospital so that she could be seen by a healthcare mm-hmm. professional right like yeah. we, we call them form 10 so we 
are apprehending somebody under Form 10. Mm -hmm. Now, I can see some problems with this because we read them the charter and caution that we would read somebody who we were arresting for a criminal act. Yeah. We do that because we are taking away their rights and we're saying you have to go to the hospital. Because a Form 10 is a mental health warrant. Right? Yeah. yeah. But the language in the charter and caution is talking about getting charged with something. Yeah. So I always preface it to people and I say, hey, I have to read this to you because I'm taking you to the hospital against your will. Yeah. However, you're not getting charged with anything. Mm -hmm. But then you have to think when somebody is experiencing a mental health emergency, they're going to listen. Yeah, I think they do hear me out, mm -hmm. but then they hear the language in what I then read them yeah. and they get a little bit amped up. Because it's right? contradictory. It's scary. Yeah. And it's contradictory. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I understand why we do that, but I don't think it's the best practice. So there might be like if, if people were thinking, which I think people are doing right now, they are. Yeah. <laughs> if they're thinking like what maybe they'll change mm -hmm. something specific to a form 10. Totally. And it'd be yeah. easy to do. Yeah. Like we do that with impaired driving mm -hmm. cases. Like we okay. have a bunch of different things that we read people mm -hmm. um, and it's expected that you are to read that to that person. So yeah. I don't see why we couldn't do that with mental health. It makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've read some of the articles about like criminalizing mental health and mm -hmm. how people who experience experience police in their mental health struggle feel that they've been criminalized. And mm -hmm. I can totally understand that. Yeah. Um, it makes sense. So anyway, this story, it was just really showed me that if you're if you treat someone like, a, like they're a human being mm -hmm. and if you're sensitive to what they're going through, mm -hmm we can de-escalate a lot of this. Um, we can de-escalate these situations, right? It's good you said also that the majority of them can be de-escalated. The majority. Because you and I both know be. that sometimes yeah. you can't. Yeah. Like, you just can't. And the thing is, too, is like, it was lucky that I was working with a female that night, right? Yeah. Because most of the police officers that I work patrol with mm -hmm. are men. And had it been four men at that call, like uh, two police units of mm -hmm. two men, that woman may have gotten into sure. a fatal yeah. interaction with police, right? Yeah. And police would have been justified in doing it because she had two knives and mm -hmm. she said, I'm going to charge the men, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's just not always an option to have like a, a woman there or an police officer who's a black police officer mm. or whatever the person in the situation that's in a vulnerable situation yep. like we just might not always be able to provide them with the right type of police officer mm. I guess so I think things are getting better um, like I look at class photos like um, so when you go through training in Canada it's called a recruit class mm. in where I my agency anyway so um, I look at the recruit class photos from, I, specifically I looked at one from five years ago. Mm -hmm. I looked at the faces of the police recruits in the photo. Most of them were white men. Mm -hmm. There's two women who were white and two, uh, I think that one was brown and I'm, I'm not sure the race of the other So there was people gentleman. of color there. Yes. There's Just two. Two people of two color. Two people of color, yeah. Yes. So I look at that and I think that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Because we're not representing the people problem. that we're policing, right? Yeah. yeah. So in my recruit class, mm -hmm. uh, it, still the majority is white males, mm -hmm. but the class was almost half female. 
And that this, is fantastic. Yeah, and that other photo was taken five years ago. So yeah. I, I think that's a lot of progress in five years. That's huge. Yeah. Um, it was, we were just under half female, and then there was a better representation of people of color yeah. in my class as Fantastic. well. Fantastic. Yeah, and I, I think that stuff's important mm -hmm. um, for the, well, for the example it, I just gave, Yeah, right? how could it not be? Yeah. How could it not be important? If you're going to talk about diversity, you have to have diverse, yes. a diverse group of people, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. And those people's perspectives are so important. And so important. I think with the topic of systemic racism, I mean, it's getting debated whether it is or isn't a thing, mm -hmm. but if you look at photos and I, I just I'm inclined to you know look at a photo and analyze it and I think it can tell a lot it can tell a story right mm -hmm. like there's more to it than this is just a picture that was taken yeah um, so I look at photos of say like the leadership in a specific police agency mm -hmm. and I look and I see they're mostly white men yeah and so there's just that unconscious bias right of being a white male and not knowing what it's like to experience things from another person's perspective. Mm -hmm. And also, there's a sociologist who I think is brilliant. Um, his name's Michael Kimmel. He deals more with, um, like, sexism is his mm -hmm. area in which he's done a lot of research. Um, but he talks about this principle of um, invis invisibility of privilege. Mm -hmm. So his point there is those that are privileged, privileged don't see it. Of course not, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. they they can't really put themselves in the shoes of the people who are underprivileged or mm -hmm. you know who are black or who are females or yeah. who are living in poverty right yeah and one one simple example that popped out as you're sharing is like for myself if i go walking around at night downtown i don't feel anything yeah i feel safe yeah. now the reason i feel safe is specific to the police actually for me right yeah, that's fair. Part, partly because I know they're there, but yeah. also because I know some of them, yeah. like many of them. But so I, I was thinking about that. The reason I mentioned it is because I was thinking about it yesterday when uh, you and I were talking and we were walking, I was walking, we were on the phone and I was walking and I saw people very hesitant to be out. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I wonder why that is. And then I realized, oh, that's right. They don't have the same privilege that I do. Yeah. Right. And I've been reflecting on that too, because when I've been seeing these posts on social media that are, some of them are, I would say, violently anti-police. For sure. I initially was offended. Mm -hmm. I'm a police officer, so I felt, you know, some personal attack. Of course. Especially when there were people I know posting them and who know I'm a police officer. Mm -hmm. It was hard not to take that personally. Yeah. But then somebody pointed out to me and it, it just hit me. It was like, white people like police. And growing up, I loved the police. Yeah. I, like, I'm a white female. I loved the police. Like, I just thought so highly of them. I thought they were heroes. I was mm. like, these people stand up for the people who need to be protected. Mm -hmm. But that's my experience as a white person, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I can't speak to the experience of yeah. somebody else because I haven't had that experience. Yeah. But I'm listening. Mm -hmm. Like, I've talked to... I mean, I, I see what um, folks are saying in that, like, you need, white people need to do their own research. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't just go to my black friend and be like, hey, you're a black person. Tell me about all the struggles of, yeah. of black people everywhere, right? That's mm -hmm. not fair. Yeah. That's asking way too much of that person. Yeah. And, like, then and I don't take any responsibility, right? That's right. And we both know there's lots of things we can read, yes. watch. Yes, there's so much you yeah. can read and watch. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say that I'd started some of my 
research, so to speak, mm -hmm. years ago when I took a sociology degree in university. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason I was so drawn to sociology is because like, I wanted to hear where other people were coming from. Mm -hmm. And I saw how there was complex issues in society. And yeah. I mean, I started out in university taking um, a, a totally different subject. And then I was taking sociology classes for just the, um, ec you know, like my option classes or whatever mm -hmm. that yeah. uh, I just had to take a certain amount of them. Yeah, my electives, that's yeah. what I was looking for. So I was taking all these sociology classes and I loved them. Yeah. And I would go and I would talk to my parents about them. And it's funny because my parents are divorced. And on the same day, I was talking to both my mom and my dad. And I was saying, um, hey, like, I'm really liking what I'm learning in the sociology class. And my dad was like, why don't you take sociology then? And I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> you can't get a job with sociology. And then I talked to my mom later in the day and she was like, why don't you do a degree in sociology? And I was like, did you talk to dad? Mm -hmm. <laughs> she was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, oh, okay. Like this is something I'm passionate about. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that has really shaped me as mm -hmm. a person and as a police officer. And, you know, it does encourage me to learn and to educate myself. And mm -hmm. I'll be honest, I've had to do lots of educating of myself during this, this period of time. And I've said things that I wish I hadn't said, and yeah. I've had to humble myself and say, hey, sorry for commenting mm -hmm. on that post you shared because mm -hmm. that was the wrong thing to do, right? Yeah. So then I decided just to be quiet and to listen to people and you know, form my, my own opinion yeah. and try to take my bias as a police officer out of it. And it's difficult, right? Because that's a part of my identity, mm -hmm. but it's not the only part of my identity. Yeah. And I want to hear what other people have to say, you know? Mm -hmm. So, well, because you understand, like, it seems like you understand inherently that if you don't know where people are coming from, you're not going to be able to help them. No, like, it's, absolutely not. It's going to be stopgap shit yeah. all the time. Right? Yeah, if I didn't understand where that woman was coming from mm -hmm. with the sexual trauma that she has experienced in her life, it would have been easier to be not sensitive to it mm -hmm. and to see her as a threat instead of as a human being. Yeah. And, I mean, as police officers, we, we do have to respond to threats, right? So... This is where it's such a gray area. Mm -hmm. um, in training, we got taught person with a knife, if they don't listen to you, you can use lethal force. Mm -hmm. And I So before you go on, just, yeah. to, just to put a point on that, because you brought it up earlier, the use of force. Yeah. So can, you just, can you just briefly describe as succinctly as possible the use of force continuum? Yes, but there's just one thing I wanted to say before sure. I get there. Sure. I yeah. just also want to say it's not just when people don't listen to you that you can shoot them because that, that's wrong. And yeah, that's as I said it, I was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, you can't just shoot people they no. don't listen. No, yeah. we don't just shoot people because they don't listen to us. But um, if they have knives and they're attacking yes, you. If they have knives, yeah. they appear to be assaultive. We give them verbal commands to mm -hmm. drop the knife or not to take a step forward mm -hmm. or whatever, and they don't listen to those commands. That's when things change for us. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, there is like use of force models that talk about, well, okay, first you need to use verbals and then mm -hmm. you can use soft empty hand and then you can use hard empty hand mm -hmm. and then you can use intermediate weapons and then you can use lethal force. So soft empty hand is like a palm strike, right? Hard empty hand is a fist. Am I, am I remembering um, it correctly? Probably soft not. empty hand, I mean, maybe some people would uh, classify those things differently. Like, I guess, depends on your perspective but to me soft empty hand is um i come across someone who's 
say, asleep somewhere they shouldn't be, mm-hmm. say, behind the wheel of a car okay. or, you know, on somebody else's property. Mm-hmm. I give them verbal commands first. A, because I want to identify myself as a police officer yeah. so that they don't see me as a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't think I'm just some random person coming to mug them or yeah. whatnot. Um, if they don't respond to my verbal cues, then I move on to something else. So in, mm. like, we get top pressure points. I was going to say, soft, empty hands, pressure points. Yes. That's right. Yeah. So in a roundabout way, I got there. But yeah. I mean, I think it's important for people to understand this Of stuff. course. Yeah. So soft, empty hand, pressure points. There's a few different ones. And I've experienced it where the public sees us using pressure points and hates it. Yeah. Like, I've had people come and yell at me and tell me I'm not doing my job properly because I'm, I'm administering a pressure point to somebody. And it's like, well, this person is likely intoxicated. And can't respond to verbal cues. Can't respond to the verbal cues yeah. that I've already tried. Yeah. And again, if the, someone just comes across this or starts filming while I'm doing the pressure points, yeah, it looks more aggressive than mm-hmm. like all the steps I've taken first. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I go, I look from a distance, I decide what I'm gonna do, I then go verbally mm-hmm. announce myself, don't respond to that, okay, move on, pressure points. So pressure points are like, um, you know, I, I usually do like the kind of behind the ear one mm-hmm. um, if somebody's sleeping just because they respond really quickly and then I can yeah. determine whether they're experiencing a medical emergency or not based on whether they respond to the um, behind the ear pressure point. Yeah. But it looks really bad because it takes someone from a state of sleeping to waking up and saying like, ow, that hurts, yeah. stop. Yeah. So again, I can understand it from somebody else's point of view, mm-hmm. but like had I skipped that step, A, that person might be experiencing a medical emergency mm-hmm and B, like, things could just get more amped up, right? Yeah. Now, a caveat to that is you, you can't always follow the use of force model from verbals to lethal force. Because so you you're not the one who determines what someone else is gonna do. Exactly, you're responding yeah. to the stimulus. Yeah. So, um, in this case, I found that when I give people the pressure point, most of the time they wake up and they're mm-hmm. compliant and they're like, okay, um, I'll leave this property or, yeah. Or uh, if I'm arresting somebody for impaired driving and they respond to the um, like behind the ear stimulus, then I can. Or if, if I'm thinking that I might be arresting somebody for that mm-hmm. for impaired driving, it, it just helps me collect information, right? Yeah. Because I don't want to assume somebody is impaired right away. Yeah. They may be experiencing a me- medical emergency. Yep. So, yeah, it's um, you know, I'm I'm taking in all this information on wh- how I'm going to respond next, right? Mm-hmm. So there's situations, and then, yeah, like hard empty hand would be, or sorry, um, yeah, hard empty hand would be like punching, palm strike, whatever. Um, And those have a place, and yeah, those can look aggressive too, but um, Mm -hmm. there's a time and place for it. And then, you know, like a next step would be like a a baton or something, and I I don't see police using batons often, and I agree with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, again, a time and a place for it, but Mm -hmm. a lot of the time, it's either they respond to those more minor things yeah. on the use of force continuum or it, it gets escalated right away and then you have to jump to something that you can draw quickly like your firearm. Yeah. And my baton, I can't, it's not a quick draw weapon. Yeah. So it, it's one that I have to mindfully use, mm-hmm. I would say. Like I have to be prepared to have enough time to grab my baton yeah. and then to position myself in a position where I can use the baton and then execute said mm-hmm. uh, baton strike to a leg or And whatever, you normally right? don't have that kind of time. No. Yeah. So there's situations where it's we're, we're conditioned to and we're trained to as police officers 
jump right to your firearm because it's the most easily accessible thing on my belt and it gives me the tool I need to protect myself if somebody else seems as if they have the intention of showing me grievously bought mm-hmm. grievous um, bodily harm or, or death, right? Mm-hmm. And some people do want to kill police officers. Yep. Uh, it happens. Well, and you just described some people don't want to kill them, but they want to be killed by them. Yes. Yeah. That happens more often than, than people think. And I police seem to get blamed for it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if you go to a call and and there's also a, a you have to consider your reactionary gap too, yeah. right? So they say that 21 feet is the minimum distance that you need to respond to somebody with a knife. Yeah. That's bigger than most police officers give themselves when they go to a call and are talking to someone, right? Yeah, you're not talking to somebody 21 feet away. No, yeah. because like you have to yell at them. Yeah. And yeah, if they have a weapon, I'm going to be talking to them from a distance. From a distance, for yeah. sure. But if, say, I'm going to a check on welfare, yep. and I'm concerned about the person's welfare, I'm not going to be 21 feet away yelling at them, right? Yeah. Because that's not going to help them either. Well, yeah, especially if they're in distress. Yes. Yeah. Like, oh, this cop is yelling at me. Like, no. <laughs> like, just imagine you <laughs> approaching the woman with the two knives, standing 30 feet away and yelling at her. Yeah, no, that's going <laughs> to jack her up, right? Yeah, totally. And understandably. Yeah, because you're yelling only to get the volume out. Yeah, yeah. but then it could be perceived to her as a threat, and now she's already in a spot where she's not doing well. Yeah and a threat will perhaps cause her to go over the edge and mm-hmm. do something that, you know, changes things. But so nine out of ten times, your check on welfare, like, um, distance is going to be probably even less than you and I have right now. Yeah. Because we have about six feet between us. Yeah. And th- you don't normally have that kind of space. Yeah, it, it just depends on all these different factors yeah. that the public don't consider when they're um, critiquing mm-hmm. a use of force on a check on welfare call. It's because we, they, the public doesn't have to. No, they don't have to. Yeah. And I'm not saying that they should have to. Right? No, no, but I, I'm just saying that if, <laughs> yeah. if there was some connection between learning right. and experiencing that, then the public would know it. Yeah. But there's really no, no real outside of transparency, a reason. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, we go to these calls and we don't have the right amount of space or we do have the right amount of space and somebody charges at you with a knife and mm-hmm. then you, you discharge your weapon. and. Yeah. People say, well, why don't you try to shoot them in the foot? Or why don't you try to shoot them in the hand? Mm -hmm. Or like, why are you shooting to kill? We're not shooting to kill. We're shooting to stop a threat. Mm -hmm. However, the safest way for us to stop the threat, yeah, it's your body, right? It's it's the center of mass. And I I think a lot of people have a lot of opinions that have never shot guns before. Well, Um, and they've definitely never shot them (laughs) in the heat of anger or fear, I should say. Yeah, absolutely. So they don't understand guns. And I mean, mm-hmm. I don't ask that people understand guns because some people are not gun people yeah. and guns can be scary. Yeah. So yeah, like I, I get it. Um, yeah. So yeah, when we're trying to stop a threat, mm-hmm. that's all we're trying to do. Like we get taught, we basically, if we have to use lethal force, mm-hmm. we shoot until we stop the threat yeah. and then we make sure the scene's safe and then we give that person first aid. Yeah. Um, because that it's a person mm-hmm. who now has a gunshot wound yeah. and they need to be treated for their gunshot wound. So mm-hmm. we're trained in like tourniquets and how to deal yeah. with um, gunshot wounds and whatnot. 
so, and I mean, some people would argue that we are trained in that stuff so that I can apply a tourniquet to myself if I get shot. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if I am working with a partner and we have more than one tourniquet and we have a gunshot victim who yeah. we've just shot and we owe a duty of care to, and the gunshot wound is on a limb where you can put a tourniquet, mm -hmm. I'm going to use the tourniquet, right? Yeah. So, because I do care about of course saving that person's life, right? Yeah. Like, yes, they've just attacked me hypothetically. But essentially, you just wanted to stop the threat. Exactly. You weren't trying to stop the person living, just exactly. the threat. Yes. Yeah. And the thing with shooting at limbs is we have to have round account accountability. Yeah. So what I mean by that is um, if I am trying to shoot uh, somebody who is a threat to me mm -hmm. and I miss them and I hit a family or a child mm -hmm. or the bullet goes through car door and hit someone right mm -hmm. and a person who is totally not involved in the situation dies that's a problem yeah that's a huge problem which is why you don't aim at limbs exactly because they're smaller than center mass yes and center mass is again just just because there's lots of people that don't yeah. know right they and th think it's movie stuff yeah for sure it's movie stuff yeah. yeah and and that's where a lot of people are like um, learning about guns and mm -hmm. use of force and stuff just because they see it on media that they consume, yeah. right? And that's fair. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't blame them for that. But um, it's just not uh, reality. It's not the whole right? picture. Yeah, yeah, without question. So, yeah, uh, I had something else I wanted to say, but I, I don't remember. Um, but stopping the threat is what we are yeah. aiming to do, right? Yeah. So. There's, oh, what was I going to say is there's people who survive gunshot wounds from handguns all the time, mm -hmm. too. And, I mean, there's cases where some, like a police officer has shot somebody to stop the threat and it doesn't even affect them because they're mm -hmm. so high on drugs yeah. or whatnot. Um, so then they have to use other force on this person because they're not um, cooperative. Yeah. And I know that that sounds weird. You go from shooting to other force, but, like, if that person's still a threat, you still need to get that person into custody safely, mm -hmm. right? And so, okay, that person's received a gunshot wound. They're less of a threat now. Mm -hmm. You're not going to keep shooting them <laughs> so that you can get the weapon away from them. Yeah, because you don't have to. Yeah, but they might not want to give up the weapon. Yeah. And then it's like, well, what do we do? Yeah. So you can, there are, there are ways to take that person into custody mm -hmm. safely, right? But it's, it comes down to training and resources yeah. and when people are saying defund the police I can I can see the argument for putting money into social agencies yeah. and whatnot but again I think what people don't understand is part of what makes Canadian police different from American police from what I understand and I, I can only speak from a Canadian perspective mm -hmm. and from what I've heard about like American policing is they don't get trained as well as we do and they don't they don't make near enough money they make and less that, than teachers yeah so people don't want to do the job because it doesn't pay well yep. and then you so that attracts a different kind of person mm -hmm. right um, the good people are going to do different things and yeah. again I'm not saying all American police officers are bad but that's obvious, but pay yeah. pay is a huge factor yeah and uh, training pay and training so, but like, this is all comes down to budget, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you're getting these people. If we're if we are defunding the police, then you're going to get less people that are qualified and would make good police officers. Mm -hmm. You're not giving them the training that will give them the tools to be a good police officer. Mm -hmm. um, 
and then the public say they want things like body cams and stuff and it's like well those are expensive yeah. and it costs money to store all the data too it's not yeah. just the physical body cam mm -hmm. so that costs money and then well and you have to be able to pay for the software that yep. that that handles all of the volume of video absolutely right? yeah. and i agree with body cams like i yeah. love that i have 100%. a body cam um i think it would be a really scary time to be a police officer and not have one. Oh yeah yeah but yeah it's like people are demanding a lot of police and there's just not a lot of solutions mm -hmm. that make sense to me and i'm a solution oriented person yeah and I want there to be a solution. Mm -hmm. I'm not 100% sure what it is, but I don't think that defunding the police is the solution. I, I think refunding, like yeah. doing a, a re, an approach on what we're funding in the police, mm -hmm. like more training. So like, um, I was watching this podcast with uh, Joe Rogan and Jocko, I can't remember his last name. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, yeah. And, and the reason I found it so interesting was because um, Jocko being a retired SEAL, he would talk, he said something in the very beginning of the podcast that hit me like a ton of bricks. He said, we go on six month deployments. We train for 18 months before we mm -hmm. go. Okay. 18 months of training for six months. Mm -hmm. So the, the translation is we obviously need to train the police we have mm -hmm. differently. Yes. So reformatting that. Yeah. And I, I understand that police don't want to be social workers, right? Because they're not social workers. Yeah, it's not the job they signed you, up for. Like how many, how much, I asked a couple of members this across the country and a couple of members down in, I say members of the police fraternity, sorry. Okay, yeah. So a couple of members down in the States. Yeah. And I asked them about, uh, what was I talking about? Defunding. De defunding. Training. And training. And, and they said, yeah, like we, we would rather only investigate murders. Yeah, right. Obviously, right? that's what yeah. we want to investigate. <laughs> We would, we would be happy to only investigate violent crimes mm -hmm. because that's really when we're going to a check on welfare, we realize, oh my God, <laughs> this could be handled better by someone else potentially. Potentially, right? but then there's also the threat of violence, right? And then that's the other side of it where some, because I'm a social worker, mm -hmm. so of course my friends who are on a part of the police fraternity, they're like, well, would you go? And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, not alone. Exactly. Right. Yes, not alone. Be because mm -hmm. what I've learned as a social worker, how we practice, we have to be safe. Yeah. And that would go totally against any safe practice. Yes, I is agree. Is me alone as a social worker walking into a situation where there's potentially someone who I simply can't handle, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. even though I might have different de-escalation, verbal de-escalation techniques and different strategies to it, and I'm also approaching the situation without a gun. Mm -hmm. so. I am coming into the situation as a non-threat. Yeah. However, that very non-threatening me that comes in is also not equipped yeah. to handle someone who jumps out of a check on welfare situation with a knife. Yeah. I'm not equipped for it. Mm -hmm. That 21 feet means nothing to me because I have nothing to fight with, <laughs> right? So like there's gotta be, like my mind is there's a blend. Yeah, I agree. Right, like mm -hmm. a combination of these things. Um, but I, I've experienced um, here in Calgary, for example, like uh, um, in a part of the chaplaincy program, I've experienced the, the ability of being around members and us impacting each other, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Where um, maybe I'm like, oh my God, I got the outrage, right? Because <laughs> sometimes I get outraged. I'm like, I dude, yeah. <laughs> there just happens. And well, we're human, right? That's so. right. We're human. But then like through conversing and mm -hmm. learning, which is what we're talking about, 
learning from people who are actually doing it. Mm -hmm. Like, I, and maybe, again, this is probably my privilege because I've been, I've spent a great deal of time around officers and some of my closest friends are officers. Um, well, my one of my closest friends is an officer, mm -hmm. right? And um, not two of them. Ah, lots of friends <laughs> that are officers. So the reality is I I'm not an officer. Mm -hmm. So I, I have to look at that differently, but I have to acknowledge that I'm not an officer. That when yeah. I look at that, okay, well, I'm looking at this with from a perspective of privilege mm -hmm. because I don't have to be there. Mm -hmm. and And also, so I work for transit mm -hmm. here in Calgary as a special constable. Years ago, it feels like a different life. Hence, I can't even remember what soft, empty hand is like. It's good though, because you kind of see both sides of it too, from the social worker and the law enforcement perspective. Totally. And that's valuable. I, I feel like it's valuable in, in lots of ways, um, more so because I realized I could not be a cop, right? That's what I, I couldn't do. I, I realized it wasn't for me, but a big part of it is not because um, there's anything wrong with being a cop. Mm -hmm. it, what I saw was the weakness in me. Okay. Right? The weakness of, I would have way too much trouble trying to balance what I'm being asked to do and what I feel is right to do, right? Mm -hmm. And and through so through my time with transit, that was a constant question for me, okay. like what is right to do here? Yeah. And I didn't always do the right thing, obviously. Because um, you're human. Bless you, yeah. Because I'm human, but the the reality is there's so many when unless you're in it, it's really hard to mm -hmm. like put yourself in the position, just like yeah. it's hard for you and I to say, what's it like to be oppressed? Absolutely. We don't fucking know, Yeah. right? It's the same, and I, maybe, I think in time, people will see this, like you said, five years ago, the, the grad pictures were way different mm -hmm. than now, mm -hmm. and they'll be even more different in five more years. Absolutely, for sure. Right, and I think I, like- If people still wanna be cops yeah. then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, if they do. I hope they do, because I, I, I hope what happens is we iron out the big problems in the services, in the yeah. police services. And the big problems are a lack of diversity at the top, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. A yeah. lack of um, women presence, yeah. like an absolute lack of it. Mm -hmm. And by presence, I mean mentality, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, because you have, you have all kinds of wonderful, incredible women who have been promoted. Yeah. They still haven't had enough time to change the mentality. That's true. Right? That mentality of, well, everywhere we go, we mm -hmm. carry a hammer. Yeah, and that's out of survival, I think. Mm -hmm. of, of course it is. And I think that the kind of new generation of police officers, at least that I see, have a different mindset. But like you said, or as we were kind of discussing, like if you have to adapt to fit the mindset of the upper management who are all white men, then you mm -hmm. may lose some of that understanding. And Well, I, I think you will. And, yeah. and you might know this is better than anyone or as well as anyone. Once you become a part of a police organization, like it's hard being odd person out. It is, yeah, absolutely. It like is. I've seen mm -hmm. people like just absolutely break down over yep. it, right? Mm -hmm. Because being the odd person out means you're not accepted. Mm -hmm. It means people don't want to have coffee with you. It means people won't talk to you. And then it can be life or death to a police officer because people won't back you on calls. Yeah, and, and so tell me about that. Does that really happen? <laughs> I. <laughs> I was going to ask you, but I'll just say it happens. <laughs> I, uh, I guess to put it tactfully, sometimes if you're the odd man out, and it could be for a variety of reasons, there may be people who don't want to go to calls with you. Mm -hmm. I think if it was an emergency, they still would if you were like, yeah. an officer in trouble. 
Uh, well, but I've yet to see on a code, like a big code call where people don't help. Like yeah. I've yet to see that, but. But the mentality can be like, I don't go to calls with that person. Or and, and if you were that person who say was odd person out in a parade or in a briefing room or whatever, mm -hmm. um, if you're that person, how does that feel thinking that? When yeah. you leave there, you're, you're leaving there with the thought that, oh my God, some of these people aren't gonna fucking help me. Yeah, and then you're leaving it thinking like, I have to do this all on my own too, so I'm not gonna ask for help. Yeah. So then you'll go to calls and maybe you won't make the best decisions because you won't reach out and ask people for help because you don't feel like you can. Yeah, because yeah, you feel isolated mm -hmm. and alone. Um, uh, so another, do you have anything else that you? Yeah, well I was just thinking while we were talking because I'm a solution-based person, and, mm -hmm. and you brought it up, like, with, I think at the end of the day, this is going to be f fixed by, like, uh, building community relations, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we have to work together. Yeah. It can't be us versus them. Yeah. So, it would mean working with social workers yeah. and, like, reaching out to the public. And, yes, there is already a lot of community policing initiatives, but... Mm -hmm. I think a lot of these, like kind of the old school mentality is to kind of roll their eyes at community policing and be yeah. like, I don't need to do that or And whatever. it's the essential component. It is essential yeah. because it comes back to like Sir Robert Peel's principles that modern policing is supposed to be based on. Like you mm -hmm. can't really do your job without public approval. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I, I would have a difficult time mm -hmm. feeling okay about doing what I'm doing without public approval. and. I'm lucky because my police agency does have a pretty high public approval rate, mm -hmm. so I, I can't say what it's like to work yeah. for one of these agencies that doesn't have that. I was blown away by how different some of the agency's approval ratings are. Yeah. By like canyons of difference, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, and maybe it's just reframing community policing mm -hmm. for the people that maybe don't understand it. like Or fire them. <laughs> like, I mean, frankly, like... No, that's if, fair. Right, because there's, and don't get me wrong, I'm yeah. not saying we should fire everybody who doesn't comply. Yeah. I'm just saying like, if, if you're one of those old heads hanging around and all you do is piss and moan about things changing, well maybe it's time for you to go. For sure. And I mean, I, I studied community policing in mm -hmm. school and I mean, I even learned something about community policing recently. So um, there's this uh, police officer I know, he's a sergeant, he's a white male, he's kind of like a big macho guy. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about community policing. He was giving a lecture on community policing actually and I initially just thought it was kind of ironic because <laughs> I was like, I don't know if this guy gets community policing. Because you're like, do knuckle draggers really understand <laughs> that? I'm just and, kidding. And that's my bias too, right? Like yeah. just assuming that he doesn't get it because of those stereotypes. You would have thought the same about me like 15 <laughs> years ago. I was just a big knuckle dragger right? walking around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he's talking about how um, when he used to work in a particular like specialty unit, part mm -hmm. of his job was to build relationships with um, like store owners mm -hmm. and like um, he worked it, part of his job was to work closely with uh, bars and nightclubs yeah. and stuff. So what he said that he did for the community policing was to go and talk to the owners and mm -hmm. talk to the staff and build those relationships, right? Yeah. And that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. And I, I hadn't really thought about community policing from that lens before. Mm -hmm. I thought about it more from like the, the youth programs yeah. and like the kind of typical stuff that you yeah. would think of with community policing. But it's not necessarily about that. Like yeah. every day when I put my uniform on, 
I, I would love to have positive interactions with everybody, mm -hmm. but that's just not reality, right? Yeah. Because I'm holding people accountable and people don't like to be held accountable. So. Well, and that's just kind of the rub, right? Is that yeah. when, when we have to get held accountable by anyone, we mm -hmm. don't like it. No. Right? So. But the, the thing I can do... Especially if you happen to be an old white guy. <laughs> yeah, they don't like me. <laughs> we don't like it. <laughs> Wait, they don't like it. I'm not old. <laughs> um, I think accountability is huge. But mm -hmm. That's a whole... It's that's a, a bottom line. I could do a whole podcast on accountability. Yeah, so. well, maybe we will one day. Yeah. So where I was going with that, though, is like, yeah, I, I know when I'm going to a call to arrest someone, mm -hmm. um, they, I'm probably not going to have the best interaction yeah. with them and I try I still try mm -hmm. to I still try to build a rapport with that person because they're a human being right and I yep. find that you know when you when a human recognizes the humanness in another person mm -hmm. that can totally like just disarm someone you know it does um, maybe not uh, <laughs> not physically, physically yeah. <laughs> or maybe it can I don't know I think that's uh, of course asking, it can you just never know yeah no it's true you never know yeah but like we're all human beings right so it's mm -hmm. like right now the public isn't treating cops like human beings, and yeah. the cops have a history of not, not treating, treating people. people like human beings, so yeah. that's a problem. That's yeah. a huge problem. So when I put my uniform on, I make sure like I have at least one positive interaction with somebody that mm -hmm. day, and it might not even be somebody that I'm dispatched to a call mm -hmm. for service to assist. Yeah. It could be, say, a car is broken down on the side of the road, and yeah, I know that people get anxiety when the police come up behind them, but mm -hmm. I go and I approach them and I say... Like, I do every time. Like, what's wrong, right? And yeah. I mean, I've been in that position too, like when I was a kid and my, <laughs> my mom's car ran out of gas and a cop came up behind me and I was like, oh, like, yeah. no, am I going to be in trouble, right? Because like... But your experience people, probably wasn't trouble. No, they just asked like, hey, is everything okay? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, my car ran out of gas. And they were like, okay, do you have a solution? Like, do you have someone coming to help you? And mm -hmm. I said, yes. So they're like, okay, and then yeah. they left. So like, I try to be that kind of police officer, right? Because mm -hmm. that went a long way. Yeah. And I, I think some of the problems that people have with police officers and this whole systemic racism thing is they find that police officers are willing to do that with white people, mm -hmm. but maybe not with people of color, right? Yeah. And to me, um, if a person's car is broken down, mm -hmm. a person's car is broken down, and I'm gonna go and make sure everything's okay, right? Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's just not that simple because of the history and mm -hmm. um, people's bad experiences with law enforcement and stuff. And it makes me sad to hear that people have bad experiences with yeah. law enforcement because, yeah, like, I mean, I've gotten tickets and stuff, but, like, generally in my life, the interactions I've had with police officers have been positive. Like, when I was a kid and, you know, being a kid and getting into trouble and stuff, like, I did yeah. have run-ins with the police, and I found the police always to be really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, but again, that's probably my privilege as a white person. Mm -hmm. So um, I was just thinking that, yeah. Yeah. Mine too, though. Yeah. So I have to keep that in mind, right? Yeah. Um, and so, it, yeah, it's not this whole, like, I don't see color thing. It's no. I have to work harder to build a rapport with somebody from one of these groups that have had bad relationships with yeah. police, whether it's um, somebody from the LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. right? Or uh, a per like an indigenous person mm -hmm. or a black person like I understand that these people have real historical trauma mm -hmm. with police and that I have to work harder to build a rapport with this person yeah. and I'm willing to do that because I think it's important and I think like I said that the humanness mm -hmm. component is so important yeah and I find for the most part because I have this approach I don't get into that many situations where I need to yeah. use force yeah and I'm not saying that it won't ever happen. It mm -hmm. for sure will happen because of yeah. my job and because I hold people accountable for a living, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
but it changes my experience as a police officer yeah. um, when I don't have to constantly be fighting with people, right? Yeah, of course it does. Of course, and for for you, for uh, the pub, the public, like it changes the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I think like that podcast that I listened to. It, it said of some things that really made sense to me, like when I was thinking about like when I worked for transit, right? Because mm -hmm. obviously I'm reflecting on of course. my my yeah. use of force, my... And you do that because you're a mindful person who wants to grow, I, right? I definitely yeah. want to grow, yeah. And so listening to that podcast, it was interesting because there's something that I've always kind of thought, never really put words to it. But when I was with transit, my brother, was a, he trains with, in Kung Fu and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So when I was with transit, I got... I was getting into fights all the time. Okay. Okay. So then I was like, okay, well, what's wrong? I just want to say, I'm glad you're reflecting, but it's kind of easier to do that at transit because people don't necessarily respect you as much. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> they're like, they don't look at transit as anything. But no. So, they're like, why are you telling me what to do? Yeah. But anyway, exactly. sorry. Exactly. But, the, but the use of force <laughs> thing was, and this podcast that between Joe and Jocko mentioned it, it's the training of being touched, mm -hmm. of being physically so once I started, I got into some fights and I was like, okay, this has got to change. Yeah. My attitude has to change. Yeah. So what I did was I asked my brother to train me. And right so on. he started training me in grappling and different things that I hadn't been trained in before. Cool. So, and, and, that, and some things that I've forgotten from yeah. a young kid. I, I took karate when yeah. I was young, but I'd forgotten most of the stuff. And I'm sure you got some training in transit too, but it's not like you're continually refreshing yourself on that type of thing, right? That's what I'm getting at, yeah. is, the, is the continual refresher. Because what, did, what changed when I started training with my brother, it wasn't like something on the outside. Mm -hmm. It was the confidence in my head. Right. I wasn't so yeah. put off when somebody would bump into me. Yeah. Right. Whereas prior to that, I'd be like, don't touch me. Yeah. Touch me again, we got a problem. To me, that's the problem. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And I, I just want to say that People, just by comment about people not respecting transit, um, I'm not saying that anyone shouldn't disrespect <laughs> How transit. How dare you? Because it's a hard job, right? Like you're, you're dealing with <laughs> a lot of the hard. similar things that yeah. at police are, but you're doing it without a firearm. Yeah. And some people argue that that's how law enforcement should be done, but mm -hmm. I would be terrified to go to like weapons calls and yeah. to go to a check on welfare where I don't know what to expect without I, a firearm, yeah. right? I think what would happen is it would turn into like England. Right. Yeah. You'd have the, the beat the cops all on mm -hmm. the street without weapons and then you'd have special units yeah. backing them up all the time. Yeah. And I mean, I, I see that there's some good things about that policing model, too. Mm -hmm. But that still terrifies me because you never yeah. know when that person with a knife is going to come running yeah. at you and try to kill you. Of course not. Right. And I mean, when, when, when I was with transit, it was similar. You didn't know it was going to happen, but you kind of like took for granted you'd be fine. <laughs> at least I did. But I, I've heard that from lots of transit guys. Yeah. So. But you, you have to use your head. Oh, for that sure. was one of the things I, yeah. I learned with transit was you have to use your head because you only have so many like options. And right? really, it's one of your. You should think of using your head as one of the tools on your duty belt. It's your first weapon, man. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so like just but learning that, getting trained regularly, having like mm -hmm. I, in my mind, it would make way more sense for all police officers to have to continually be trained in some martial art, not because yeah. they are going to use it to hurt somebody, yeah. but because they can use it to not hurt somebody. Yeah. Or even just continual training in our subject control yep, tactics. Yeah, in your subject control. Because, like, we don't really. Like, we get trained in recruit classes. Mm -hmm. And then, I, I mean, there was, there has been some changes done recently in my police agency that they did want us doing more continual training. But yep. then with COVID, we couldn't. Because you can't touch each other, yeah. Yeah, so the whole, it's like that ball got rolling and then it got stopped yeah. right away. <laughs> 
Um, but it sounds like it might keep rolling yeah, once I, we're back. I think so. Um, yeah. And I think this my service sees a reason why we need to be doing that yeah. and the value in it. Because it, like patrol officers are so driven by calls for service. Yeah. Like we call it CAD driven, which is yeah. our computer assisted dispatch, right? So especially in some districts where there's a ton of calls for service, it's like you have to be responding to the CAD. You have to be taking calls. If you're not taking calls, people say you're lazy. Yeah. If you do your follow-up too thoroughly, and I say that kind of sarcastically, <laughs> people think you're lazy and you just don't want to be out working. And so that there's a problematic culture as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the new people should be doing all the work and the senior guys can just be sitting around doing nothing. Yeah. And and I mean, it's because when they were new, they, they were overworked, right? So now they feel like they shouldn't have to, but yeah. And, and I can understand that. However, it's um, not helpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if we were to incorporate some of this training as like, okay, yeah, today you don't have to take calls and you're just solely responsible for doing your training mm-hmm. and whatever, um, then it's like, well, you're still getting paid to do it. And, yeah. and I think you should because it's a huge part of your job. Absolutely. And but if you're going to do it regularly, you definitely should either get paid or have it free. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a huge emphasis on training. And then, and if you are just um, doing it for, you know, your own growth and stuff, like I think that should still be um, a thing that people recognize. And yeah. it's like, okay, this person is doing this, say, jiu-jitsu training mm-hmm. so that they can be a better police officer. Yeah. So we should potentially give them X amount of time to do this mm-hmm. and again it comes down to budgetary stuff and well but it's also problematic, you, but it is problematic when we start thinking about the bu- we can't control the budget no. but we're just we're just spitballing ideas totally right? i'm just trying to come up with solutions because yeah. i'm a solution-based person yeah, right me too and it's like the, the one solution we have we can agree on is training like yeah. more training specific training like one of the things i was going to ask you was when you were in rec- in classes mm-hmm. or police academy or whatever it's called um being a non-cop, I get to call it whatever I want. You do that. Police yeah. Academy, <laughs> and the movies are great. They are, um, yeah. <laughs> how, much, how much time do you get uh, being taught about ethics? <laughs> like law, law ethics or ethics of any kind? Because uh, what I've heard is between one hour and three hours, the whole time you're in training. Yeah, I think that we had a little bit more than that, but mm-hmm. not much. I was going to say five hours. Okay, so, so five, but five is still not very <laughs> yeah, much. No. Out of uh, some some places are six months, some are probably a year. I don't know, but mm-hmm. if, even if you doubled it, mm-hmm. if you said ten hours, out of a I don't we'll say six month period of time, that's not a lot of fucking time to be learning about stuff that you have to you're going to come in contact with, mm-hmm. because there's some ethics of policing that we already know before you even hit the street, you're going to have to come. This is going to happen. You're yeah. going to have to answer these questions. I think a thorough, not just the physical stuff, but a thorough understanding of, um, well, obviously laws. There needs to be more time spent on law, mm-hmm. right? Because you know as well as I do, some people get out there and then all of a sudden, whatever hours they gave you on law study wasn't enough. Yeah. And right? above anything else, people, like in terms of the, like this subject, mm-hmm. police have to understand their lawful placement on a call. Precisely. So, and if they're not lawfully placed, then if they use force, they, they can't, right? They cannot use force if they're not lawfully placed. And that's the question, like the lawfully placed, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's where more ethic training, ethical mm-hmm. training, and, and maybe you have like a, a full-on 
full-on course of police ethics mm -hmm. because I'll tell you that's important like Absolutely. that's important, it's important yeah. right like yeah. if, if you encounter yourself going up to a subject who is a person of color mm -hmm. and you approach them differently than a person who isn't of color mm -hmm. well we that's need to we need to have that those questions be yeah. answered and to have a place we can go to get them answered absolutely right yeah like hey sarge why am i thinking this way ben nobody asks that of course not and like we take a course <laughs> called bias free policing but like yeah. i i think that was just an hour or it's like a lecture yeah it, um, it, i know that's what i've heard they're just like lectures long. and shit yeah like, so people don't I shouldn't say it, but people, because that's one of those big general statements. And but, we don't know what, what some agencies do and yeah. don't do, right? So, But I don't see, like, from my experience, guys going to calls and then debriefing it after. And they'll debrief use of force sometimes mm -hmm. or, like, police tactics, but they don't debrief, like, did I do the right thing? Or did I treat mm -hmm. that person appropriately? Um, I don't see police asking themselves that questions and, and those questions. And maybe it's the quiet police officers who yeah. do, like I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's other people that do. I've been asked those questions many times yeah. by very mindful yeah. people, yeah. But I don't think enough people do it. Agreed, yeah. And then I also think on the other side of it with the public, they I don't think that police explain or I don't think people understand very well uh, why, like, like lawful placement as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's a course that lots of Canadian and American police take called verbal judo. And different police agencies have put different spins on it. Mm -hmm. um, but the principles behind it are genius yeah and the principles behind it are kind of like tell people why you're there mm -hmm. uh, treat them like humans uh you'll get more compliance from people yeah. if you do these things kind of thing and that's it in a nutshell and it's a whole course and the again funny that thing could is, be another podcast but. yeah like seriously we should do one on that like we should do one on lawful placement yeah you know for sure. i mean it'd be awesome because, i think it would be too yeah because there's little things that people don't understand like yep. say bylaws yeah okay um you do a bylaw infraction, mm -hmm. say, well, the transit example, you don't have your ticket, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I know yeah. that it happens with these guys. Yeah. So it's no fair. Yeah. So you don't have fare on the train because whatever reason you can't afford it or you mm -hmm. feel like you don't have to pay for the train or there's many reasons why one might not pay for the train, mm -hmm. right? So you're on the train, you don't have your fare. The transit guy comes and says, hey, uh, can I see your ticket or pass? Mm -hmm. And you say, I don't have one. And then for whatever reason, if you don't think that it's their right to ask that, like mm -hmm. if you're like, why are you bugging me about my fare? You don't maybe understand that they're lawfully placed to ask you for yeah. it. And then if you don't cooperate with them, say they want to write you a ticket for not having fare. Mm -hmm. And you're like, no, I'm not telling you who I am. Well, now you're arrestable. Yeah. Um, and it's just jumped from a bylaw offense to a criminal code charge. Mm -hmm. And there's legislation that... Um, connects those two things yeah. um i i don't know what it is in different provinces in canada but mm. uh, like where i work there is um like provincial legislation right so yeah. it goes from the city i think every province has it yeah no i'm sure they do yeah. i just don't know what they're called in every yeah. province right yeah so it's like you go from the uh bylaw infraction which seems like nothing you're like mm -hmm. the, the person might be like whatever i just didn't pay for the train yeah but then you're like i'm not telling you who i am because i don't have to i've heard that before <laughs> And then it <clears throat> jumps through this provincial legislation to the criminal code, mm -hmm. and now you're arrestable for obstruction. Yeah. And now the police can use force to take you into custody. Yeah. And people get into these big fights, and it's like, well, I found those are the those are when the big fights usually happen. Those are huge fights. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those are some of the bigger fights I've had. Has yeah. been over bylaw stuff because people don't really get why they're important, and they don't get the 
police perspective. Well, they don't understand. They can't just run away. Yes. Like that's that's what the, from my experience that yes. was the big one, right? Was they yeah. don't get that you can't just leave. You have to you have to deal with this. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 So people like brush the bylaw stuff off, not mm -hmm. thinking it's a big deal, um, but then it becomes a problem. Yeah. And I think if the public understood more the police, like the lawful placement of the mm -hmm. police officer or a peace officer or, in terms of bylaw or a peace officer, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what I come back to with the when I said earlier that people don't respect the transit guys, yeah. is they just don't maybe understand their authority. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. I, I never really felt disrespected, to be honest with you, when I was with transit. I, mm -hmm. I always got along generally with people, like pretty good. But yeah, it's like that, if they don't know, then they don't know, Yeah. right? And if you don't, if you think that the ticket is just a ticket, mm -hmm. then you're probably, you're way more inclined to just want to walk away. Absolutely. Right? Or yeah. just be like, I'm not telling you my name. Yeah. Like I get it. And I, I, do even, too. I yeah. even got it then when I was doing it, but it's yeah. like, you don't understand. You can't just leave. Yeah. And the unfortunate part about that, so this is the thing with, with me and my reflection on when I was doing that, mm -hmm. the bylaw stuff, in, in retrospect, most of it seemed, okay, Dave, like really you chased that guy for a no fare, <laughs> okay? <laughs> but that's hindsight, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Because in the moment, you just get your, your, your cockles up because somebody's not listening to you. Yeah. They're not complying, even though they're, they're legally required to comply at that point. Yeah. Really... I think it's like you and I both, we just said the same thing. These obstruction, these obstruction cases usually get way out of proportion. They do, yeah. And it's all about that, I don't have to tell you shit. Yeah. When in fact, at a certain point you do. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah, so I just don't think people understand yeah. that. And if they understood that, I think that could bridge a gap between yeah. citizens and law enforcement. Yeah. And we could avoid some of these um, mm -hmm. big fights and use of force issues right totally. because people get hurt taken into custody both cops and citizens i got hurt every time oh yeah something like whether it was a you know not the major but yeah i've been hurt taking people into custody yeah. too because uh, like you're you're fighting with these guys and they're resisting and as a police officer you're taught you do what you have to do to take mm -hmm. that person into custody because it, it can become a life or death issue because yeah. if they're upset and they don't want to get arrested and they're fighting you mm -hmm. and they get mad and then they start winning the fight, they can take your firearm yeah. and they can shoot you or somebody else, yeah. right? So it's like when I start fighting with somebody and they're resisting me, I need to get that person into custody yeah. or my life or somebody else's might be on the line, right? Exactly. And that explains why the obstruction usually leads to some kind mm -hmm. of blow up, right? Yeah. Is because all of a sudden it goes from, and even the, the person who may be in question, they don't even know it. That's true. They yeah. might not even know that what they've done is now escalated. It. Yes. And, and you can't really explain it while you're fighting with them. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's criminal now. Yeah. Like, stop. I've tried. Stop resisting. Yeah. This is criminal. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't like, it's work. It's a bylaw. Yeah. <laughs> not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I guess the, the idea is, and, and honestly, I was, like, when I first started, I was a hothead. I had just gotten sober, too. So, like, I was maybe a six months sober, I think, when mm -hmm. I got the job. No, no, nine months or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it was a, um, yeah, it was just a mind fuck trying to figure out what's right, what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And I mean, with, with transit here in Calgary, um, there was very little training. Okay. And yeah. even less, at the time when I was with them, mm -hmm. even less retraining. Okay. The opportunities for training were not regular. Okay. Yeah. Just, I'm going to put that out there. And I think my, I think my training was a month. Six oh, weeks? Something wow. like that? It That's was six weeks or something like short, that? Very short, yeah. Maybe two months? Am I wrong? I can't remember. I, I have heard that training back at that time was 
much shorter, around a month. So it, it yeah. was pretty short. Yeah. You, you basically what I was get what I'm getting at is, you have just enough time to learn the no fare tickets, some some tickets you're going to use regularly, some arrest procedures, arrest processing, that kind of stuff. And of course, you get a what do we have a day of use of force? <laughs> we might have had two days. Okay. But we didn't get anything on ethics. Mm, like ethics basically was passed on to us via um, anecdotal teaching okay. during the training, right? I mean, that's really where we got it from. I don't, and let me rephrase that. I do not remember having a class on ethics. Okay. Yeah. As I understand it, training in transit has improved, but that's interesting that that mm -hmm. was your experience at that time and that will reflect the type of peace officer you are, right? Right. And it did, 100% it did. I was a bull in a china shop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and until I learned, okay, this is not the way to do this, right? But it took forever mm -hmm. to get out of the bullish nature of things. But yeah, um, yeah any, uh, anyway, that's great. We could talk about <laughs> possible solutions. I think yeah. the one thing we obviously see as being essential is more training. Yep. And probably different training. Yeah, I agree. It might even be training they haven't even dreamed of yet. Absolutely, and right. I think now is a really good time for those creative types yep. to think about it and offer solutions and stuff. And mm -hmm. yeah, like I'm doing my best to think of solutions, but at the end of the day, I'm not really one of those creative types. I can only yeah. really speak from my experience and what I see as lacking. And I think maybe um, citizens who don't work in law enforcement, I mean, I think you have to understand law enforcement to pitch ideas to law enforcement, yep. but I still think that those outside opinions are really helpful. Yeah, well, and they are helpful because it may help the two sides find a exactly, middle. Exactly, which right? is what I see needs to be done at the end yeah. of the day. Because we're not gonna, we're not gonna change these deep systemic problems. No, not overnight. And, and it's not gonna be just one person or one group of people. It's gotta be all of us together. Because it's a system, right? Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. And then eventually, once we get through the, the police stuff, we can go to our in Ottawa and then we can take those fucks out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like, I mean, there's so many problems in the system, and yeah, so I, I won't talk on it too long, no, but like, okay. the, there's problems in the courts, and yep. there's problems, uh, yeah, like. The problems with the police agencies across North America is an extension of the political climate. Absolutely, right? so police are a symbol of the greater yeah. problem. It's funny you say that, because that's exactly what it is. It's a symbol. It's mm -hmm. a symbol of the great problem that faces people of color, mm -hmm. indigenous people. Yeah. Um, obviously, there are problems that you and I, we, we can't understand. Yeah. Um, one of the things I, I, you talked about learning, it's up to us to learn yes. and up to us to get educated. So something I read during this time, it just, it's interesting because it talked about back in the 60s and 70s, civil rights movement, right? Mm -hmm. And that they purposely went after property. The reason they destroy property is because it's a symbol, mm -hmm. right? It's not just like the police is a okay. symbol. The property was a symbol of the of white yeah. superiority. That makes sense. Because yeah. back then, you couldn't buy anywhere right. if you were people person right. of color, if you were indigenous, mm -hmm. you couldn't go and buy a house anywhere you wanted. So what they what that was was a symbol, mm -hmm. and it makes sense. It's still a symbol, yeah. um, because peaceful protesting requires destruction, and it requires disobedience. Right, mm -hmm. that's the peaceful approach. The non-peaceful approach requires, obviously, violence against people. Mm. Whereas the civil rights movement, from the Martin Luther King perspective, from what I understand, mm -hmm. was about disobedience and the property destruction. I don't think Martin Luther King ever probably said, go burn that building down. <laughs> but it was a symbol, yeah, okay. right? When you burn down a bank, that's a symbol. Right. It's not about Scotiabank. Of course, <laughs> Right? Yeah. It's about the bank. Yeah. When you burn, when you 
throw rocks and break windows of an office tower, you're not throwing it at an office tower. Right. You're breaking like Walmart yeah. or whatever is being like ravaged down mm -hmm. in the States, usually is Walmart. Yeah, it's not about Walmart though. It's not about yeah. Walmart. Walmart's a symbol of greed, of yeah. corporate greed, of slavery, yeah, like okay. modern day slavery, yeah. right? Where you get, you get people coming to work for $4 an hour. <laughs> That's modern day slavery, Matt, mm -hmm. or whatever it was before all the, mm -hmm. the wonderful minimum wage stuff. But anyway, now I'm babbling on. <laughs> Thank you so much Yeah. for coming. Thank you for hearing me out. I'm grateful. Is there anything else you want to talk about? No, that covers everything that uh, I've been thinking about for the last couple of weeks here. So cool, cool. Thank you again. This is. I know this must have been hard for you to to come, but appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Please stay tuned every Wednesday as we air another episode. Thank you for your time, and please, if you're in trouble, reach out. If you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts.